All right, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com. It's now Wednesday, February 11th, and this is the I Own College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined uh, for this edition by Rob Doster from NBC Sports. Lots of stuff to uh, get to, and we're going to get to it. But I, I want to start with, uh, Rob, a tweet that you had last night, and that tweet is this. Quote, hard to believe that Sam Decker's 21 points against Nebraska tied a career high, end quote. And I swear to you. So I was reading the uh, AP recap last night because I was handling the Wisconsin – Nebraska highlights uh, on Inside College Basketball on the CBS Sports Network, and I read that Decker had finished with a, quote, career-high 21, and I was like, really? Like, that's his career-high 21? Is that weird to you? It's like everybody has always loved Sam Decker, and I totally get why. He's a, you know, he's a very, very good player and an interesting prospect, but he's never quite clearly uh, had that one crazy big game, at least not yet. What do you make of Sam Decker, this far into his college career, having a career high of 21. That seems, I understand tempo and all that stuff, but still, it seems like he'd have popped off for 28 or 29 at some point, you know? Yeah, it seems like somewhere along the way, whether they're playing like, I don't know, like Wisconsin, Milwaukee, or one of those little right. cupcakes that Wisconsin loves beating up on early in the season, that he would have gone off for like 30 or something like that. It just, it, it, it seemed really weird that he never scored more than 21 points in a game, and you know, I don't know if you can really make anything of it. I, I think that's just part of how it works in Wisconsin. You know, other than I know Frank Kaminsky had 43 points right. against. I don't. I don't remember who it was. Somebody early last year. Yeah, but uh, I mean, beyond that, how often do you see anybody on Wisconsin ever going for more than like 25? It, it, it's weird when you see anybody do it. So I, I guess maybe that's just how it works in Wisconsin. And you know. For me, at least he's looking forward to his future as an NBA prospect. I think that might actually be a good thing because we all know what he can do. Like Just because he doesn't score 30 points in a game doesn't mean that he can't score. And at the next level, he's not going to be a star. He's going to end up being a role player. And I think that if that's a sign that he can kind of buy into what he's supposed to be doing within the, the, the construct of his team, I, you know, maybe that's a good thing that he doesn't care about the fact that he's never scored more than 21 points in a game. Yeah, that's fine. I, and I, I'm just to be clear, I'm fine with it. I just found it. I was surprised by it exactly for the same reasons you were surprised by it. Like usually when you have somebody as immensely talented as Sam, who is a, a junior in college, um, their career high is, is, is different than 21. That was the only thing that struck me. I, I was just surprised by it the same way you were. Meantime, uh, you finally switch from Jaleel Okafor to Frank Kaminsky in your player of the year rankings. Um, poor Jaleel. He's 14 of 16 from the field in his past two games, averaging 18 and 9 for the nation's fourth-ranked team, and you bailed on him. Why? Why did you bail on Jaleel Okafor? Well, it's less bailing on Okafor and more realizing just how good of a season that Frank Kaminsky is having. I went through and I looked at all the Ken Palm numbers, and I know you like Ken Palm, uh, Parrish, and, and he's – Wisconsin is having – I don't. I actually haven't checked it yet this morning. But before last night's game, they would have. They were on pace to have the best offensive season in terms of efficiency in the Ken Palm database. And if you look at what Frank Kaminsky has done, he's using 27.8 percent of their possessions, and he had an offensive rating of 126.7. Which you know that's a lot of numbers to throw at you. But there was only one player in the history of Ken Palm's database dating back to 2004 that had put up numbers. That, where he used that many possessions and had that high of an offensive rate. And by comparison, I think Doug McDermott last year had about a 123 offensive ranking and used like 31% of the possessions. So it's just, you know, when you look at how good he has been in that offense, that is on pace to be the best offense that we've seen since Ken Palm started doing his Ken Palm thing, 
You know, I, I think that it's just something that needs to be recognized. And I think that Kaminsky is a better defender than Okafor. And, I, you know, I went back and I watched some tape on the Notre Dame game and the Florida State game. And I think Okafor is getting better on that end of the floor. I think for him, it's more he just doesn't know what he's supposed to do and doesn't know the position that he's supposed to be in. And I think that that Duke doesn't want him playing too much tough defense to keep him out of foul trouble. Uh, than it is that he's just an awful defender and always going to be an awful defender. I think he's learning, and I think you're kind of seeing that this year. But right now, I think Kaminsky plays a bigger role in a better offense, and he's a better defender than Okafor. And it just got to the point where I couldn't justify it to myself saying that uh, Okafor could one day be Tim Duncan, which is why he should be the player of the year right now. I think Kaminsky's having a better seat. And it's not a shot at Jaleel. I, you know, he's, he's the second best player in the country. That's not really, you know, a criticism of the kid. I just think that we need to celebrate a little bit what Frank is doing. No, in all seriousness, I, I don't disagree. Even if he wouldn't lose to me in FIFA. <laughs> We're going to get to that in a second. <laughs> so, um, no, I, listen, I, so last week I did the player of the year rankings over at CBSSports.com, and I used the term uh, Okafor as the obvious front runner, And I got some pushback on that. And in you know, in fairness, I, I it, probably a poor word choice. I wouldn't. I wish I wouldn't have used the word obvious because it's not obvious. In fact, you could argue Kaminsky very reasonably as you as you just uh, as you just did. I guess what bothered me is not so much that you bailed on Okafor. I felt like you were bailing on me a little bit. I thought you and I were out there. <laughs> we were out there together, standing strong, and then you you fell into the uh, Kaminsky argument and you started citing defense as if Doug McDermott didn't win National Player of the Year last year. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's fair. Also, McDermott had other worldly numbers. I understand. Yeah, I don't think that we're ever going to see another player at the college level as good as McDermott did was. Just because I don't think we're ever going to see a guy, you know, with his scoring ability, end up staying for four years. Like he was something special. Right? Like I, I, I certainly appreciated everything that I saw from him last year, and I I know you did too. Um, But I I mean, I, I think the defense is a factor. Sure. But I, you know, Kaminsky is not exactly Tyson Chandler. You know? right. He's not. He's not Anthony Davis on the defensive end of the floor. I, I think that more than anything, that could be like a tiebreaker, maybe. But I think that at some point, we just, you know, maybe I just needed a different perspective on it and 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 kind of scrapped everything and looked at it from the very beginning. Um, but I don't. I, I just. I think Kaminsky is having an unbelievable season right now, and I, I you know. Maybe I'm just too into the numbers, and I need to kind of back off on that a little bit and no, appreciate just no, how good I, of a talent that Okafor is. But, no, I know what you're saying. Like, I was torn a little bit on whether or not to actually make that leap, I guess. I, I, it just – to me, he, he's just having such a great year, and a lot of times the stuff kind of gets buried by the fact that he's never going to put up ridiculous numbers playing for Wisconsin, and you just don't do that. Right. You know, so I, I think, you know, I don't know. No, but him the bottom this, line is this. Yeah. Bottom line is this. I think this player of the year argument is going to be the best one that we've had, maybe since JJ Redick and and, and uh, Adam Morrison. Because I don't think you can count out D'Angelo Russell yet. I don't think he's doing what he's been doing the last six games. And I know he wasn't that great at Duke, but Jaron Grant is having an unbelievable season for Notre Dame. Like I, I think he does so much for that team. And the reason that Notre Dame lost to Duke was because Quinn Cook spent 40 minutes doing nothing but face-guarding Jaron Grant, took him completely out of the game, 
And when you look at what happened in that Notre Dame game when Jaron Grant was taken away, I think that should kind of make you appreciate just how good and how valuable he's been this year. I think right now it's got to be like two guys at the top, the same two. You can put them in whatever order you want, but Okafor, Kaminsky in some order. And and I'm fine with Kaminsky. Let me be very clear. There is nothing still. You don't have to justify moving to Kaminsky. Like when you really look at the numbers and really take a fresh look, um, it's, it's incredibly reasonable, if not accurate, to go with Frank. In fact, uh, I feel like I might have got caught in, uh, and I probably shouldn't admit this right now because I don't have to update the player of the year rankings until next week, and a lot of stuff could change between now and then, but I, I feel like I might have got caught in the same little thing I got caught in in 2010. I was John Wall from the very beginning. John Wall, John Wall, John Wall, John Wall, John Wall. And then at some point I had to look up and go, Jesus, you know, it's probably Evan Turner. Like Evan Turner is having an unbelievable year. And just because I started with John Wall and John Wall has been great, it doesn't mean that Evan Turner hasn't been greater. And I think that might be what's happening right now with, with Okafor and Kaminsky. I started with Okafor, so I lean that way no matter what. And Okafor has been awesome and done nothing to move me off of him. But if you look at it, uh, you know, as you put it, a, a fresh start, you can very easily get to get to the conclusion that, that Frank Kaminsky is the best college basketball player in the country right now. So I think at this moment, it's those two. And, and though Frank hasn't had these massive games, he's consistently put up really good numbers. Like I think he, uh, last night was his ninth double-double. He's been awesome. Um, then after that, yeah, D'Angelo Russell's just a special talent. I think he might be hindered a little bit by Ohio State not being in the top 10 like like Wisconsin and Duke are. And then Grant also is going to be right there. And then after that, maybe DeLon Wright. But there's a little bit of a gap after that. But those top four certainly project this consensus first-team uh, All-Americans right now. And I've got no issue with anybody switching to Kaminsky. I might end up doing it the next time that I uh, update. Okay, let's get to FIFA 15. Do you, you really think you could beat him? Because it seems like he takes it seriously. I, I take it really seriously, too. But here's, here's the thing. I was... I didn't want to explain this too much on Twitter. <laughs> I didn't actually go out and buy FIFA 15 That's because I know myself. Here's, here's the comparison that I would make. Imagine if you were a pack-a-day smoker for what, like 10 years, right? Sure. And you quit for six months and now you're training for a marathon. Are you going to leave a pack of cigarettes just sitting there on your desk calling for you? I know myself, Parrish. I know that I can't control <laughs> my video game playing when FIFA 15 is sitting around. I got work to do, man. I'll get it on April 7th. Yeah. As soon as the basketball season is done, when I have no more work left to do, then I'm going to go get FIFA 15. But here, here's the thing. I'm good at FIFA. I will not back down to a challenge for Frank Kaminsky. Okay, okay. We got <laughs> to get you guys to play. I, I We do own FIFA 15. My son is, like, big into video games. I guess, like, most 11-year-olds are. And um, like he, But he's not big into sports. He doesn't care too much about, like, uh, basketball or football, although we we have Madden and he'll play that. Although I don't really get into Madden, but we he and I both really got into FIFA 15, and um, so I would just I only play him. Like I don't play online because I don't have that kind of time either. So the way I rationalize any time I spend playing FIFA 15 is that I'm actually spending time with my son, so it can be <laughs> it it can be productive. And in fact, like during football season, I got it set up 
to where, um, and even during basketball season, because I need to be watching basketball games when I'm home, but I also need to be spending time with my son. But if one of the things he digs doing is playing FIFA 15, we will play FIFA, but I've got a, I've got a secondary television in his room. I've got two TVs in his room, so I can watch a basketball game or a football game while we're actually playing FIFA as well and sort of kill two birds with one stone or, at the very least, just satisfy my, uh, my gambling addiction. And so um, we're playing FIFA 15 all during the summer, all during the fall. I haven't played much lately, but I... You got to understand, I like live in this world where I don't compete online with people. So I just, I'm, I'm only gauging myself against him. So then I start to think like I'm really good. And then I, and then I, then like we had some friends over and one of my buddies was like, oh yeah, I played FIFA 15. I played him. He beat me like seven to two. I was like, what in the world? I thought been, I spent like six months of my life thinking I was really, really good. So if I couldn't handle him, I don't think I can handle Frank, but I'm kind but like I, I destroy my 11 year old all the time. And I bet you take a lot of pride in that too. I do. I, I you know, I, I, and I struggle. <laughs> I don't blame with, you, man. Because, I don't blame you. You get into it with people. Well, I'm extremely competitive in everything I do. Like, you know, if you want to play uh, table tennis, then I want to beat your brains out in table tennis. If you want to, uh, you want to play risk, then I want to try to own the whole world as quickly as possible. Um, what about wiffle ball? I, I I stack trophies on top of trophies on top of trophies. Like I want to win at everything, and so um, I I can't. I know like there's a part of a father-son thing that you're supposed to like let your son win. Like, oh, I'll let the little boy win. But he's not a little boy. Like when we play Call of Duty, he and and he just runs around and, and sneaks up on me and like cuts my throat like 50 times every seven minutes. And so he doesn't take it easy on me, so I never take it easy on him. And what I thought was that I'm teaching him tough love and I'm teaching him how to overcome adversity and I'm 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 showing him that you have to go to a different level to try to be successful and all of these things will resonate in different aspects of life and in fact then I read a book and the truth is you're probably damaging your kid if you never let him actually win you don't want to teach him the condition of losing over and over again so um when we do start playing FIFA 15 again because right now I just don't have the time I'm barely at home during the week um I'm going to have to either um start losing because he's just better than me or start losing every once in a while just because I don't want to psychologically damage my son the way Frank might psychologically damage you if you two ever play. I think he would beat you because college kids, college kids are better than actual adults at video games for the most part. I believe this to be true. It's a little bit like, um, you know, if you take, um, you know, your, your average 21 year old swimsuit model and your average, you know, 33 year old swimsuit <laughs> model, the 21 year old is just going to be better than on average than the 33 year old just for, because, you know, age and all that stuff. It's a little bit same thing with video games. Give me your average 21 year old video game player and your average 30. However, how old are you? You're doing your late twenties, right? I'm 29. I can't yeah. believe you just compared me to a swimsuit model. Well, no, I, I would never compare you apples to apples <laughs> to a swimsuit model. I was just saying that at your advanced age, um, I would take the tw- I would blindly take the twenty one year old. Well, I mean, it makes sense you. though, makes, because when you're twenty one and you're in college, you have a lot more free time. Like that's the one thing I miss the most about college is the utter lack of responsibility. I could spend eight hours on a Sunday watching the entire season of Friends on DVD and not feel guilty about it at all. If I did that now, like my wife would be beating my ass. So you know, oh dude, you that, don't even know. Why, your yeah. life, your <laughs> life hasn't changed at all yet. Wait till you have kids. The kids thing is what changes your life. The wife thing doesn't change your life. The wife thing, you guys can still hang out, drink beer, go to movies whenever you want, dinner, whatever. When you have kids, that's the one that changes your life. And listen, I will tell you. You can't play FIFA for like four hour sessions every day and every night. Well, yeah, but you can't do that with kids until your kids get old enough to play. 
So you, so you got about a decade. You're going to have kids, and then your life's going to be ruined for about a decade. So I'm going to sup for FIFA, FIFA for another decade. That yeah, like let's say you have your – There's no question. Like let's say you have your first child in like 2017. You won't be able to play FIFA again until like FIFA 27. Like you're out. You're, oh, man. I know. You're out the game to like FIFA uh, 27. So uh, look forward to that. Uh, fatherhood's great, but it, it'll mess your life up completely. You better, you better stop. Can you, like, can you explain that one to my wife? Because it'll sound better coming from you. No, no, it's it's hundred percent true. There's nothing better than being a father and raising children and seeing them grow into uh, neat little smart humans. Like, and and just you know the way they rely on you and it gives you some sense of purpose. I can't understand if you can have children, not having children, because it. it uh, I, I do believe that at some point your life has to have some purpose besides waking up every day and ranking stupid basketball teams and doing podcasts and breaking down highlights on television. Like you need to matter to somebody and your children are the only people you ever really matter to. Like your spouse, you know, she spent most of her life getting by without you. She could get by without you again. It doesn't mean that she doesn't love you and doesn't want you and doesn't need you on some level, but she could get by without you. But your kids, they can't really get by without you. And that's a neat responsibility. All that said, it messes your life up completely. Having kids ruins your life. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't do you can't you can't do most of the stuff you enjoyed doing before. So it's uh it's very much uh um it's it's some good stuff and it's some mess it, it disrupt it disrupts this your life. Podcast is taking some sharp left <laughs> I really asked. You going from Frank Kaminsky versus Julia Okafor to FIFA. And why kids will ruin your life. <laughs> parents giving me fatherly advice. Here's, here's the thing. You have to have kids and you'd feel empty without them. Like, that's the thing. I think I would feel empty if I weren't a father because you do feel some sort of per. And there's nothing better than, like, even when I'm in New York. Like, I'm in New York right now. Like, I spent time last night FaceTiming with my uh, one-year-old. And, you know, he's kissing the screen. And, like, there's nothing better than having children. I don't think. It also, I, I, I realize it, it must be hard for some people to, to understand both points I'm making here. It messes your life up. Like the life that you in really want to live, you think you want to live, you can't live that life anymore. So like you have, you can't have one without the other. It's very, very difficult. This is something I struggle with because I like the, I like the life I live. And and, and you know, but but <laughs> oh, I, I know you do. <laughs> I know, right? But I also love like uh, you know, FaceTiming with my one year old. So whatever. Anyway, hey, Willie Colley signs still in your player of the year rankings. If you have to update him again, would you move Carl Anthony Towns in? Get that dude out. No, I, I still think that Willie Cauley-Stein is more important to what Kentucky does because I think that they're going to win uh, with their defense. I don't think they're ever going to be a great offensive team. Um, and I think that Willie Cauley-Stein is the single best defensive player in all of college basketball. And I think what he does with, you know, his ability to run the floor, his ability to finish alley-oops, you know, get into the offensive glass, and the fact that he can, like, they put him on – so I noticed this the other night. When Kentucky plays defense, they normally have Carl Towns on the bigger guy, and they play um, Cauley Stein on the more perimeter-oriented forward because he can kind of get out and, you know, he switches ball screens and he, he can defend threes. I remember when they played Providence, he was all with Dante Henderson, who was like right. a, a small forward. So I think that his ability to do that and switch out on the perimeter, and, and it kind of brings everything together for Kentucky on the defensive end. And, you know, like we were saying with Frank, how he is the most important piece of what could end up being a, a historically good offense. I think Cauley Stein is the most important piece of what might be the best defense in the history of college basketball. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Uh, but, like, Towns has really taken a step. I guess that's my larger point. Oh, he, he has. Yeah. He has. Like, you could see his confidence. Earlier in the season, 
when you watch them make those post moves, like they look kind of herky jerky and like it, it just didn't look smooth. And then last night, that little hook shot, that little hook that shot, hook was Woo! just like, oh man, yes. When he gets that going, it's going to be unstoppable. Yes. No, unstoppable. And, like, that's the thing. Like, that looked like a pro. Like, we were sitting in studio with me and Rostin, Martin Cleves, and so we're watching that game, obviously. As You know, we got 15 TVs, so we're watching everything. But we're focused in on that one at that point. And, um, you know, Carl Anthony Towns gets the ball. and I mean, it was a pro. I want to say it was a pro post move, except, like, lots of pros can't do that. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying, like, yeah. he's one of the best five bigs in the world right now. I'm just saying that was a – that's one that makes you go, okay, do we need to – and I'm being very clear here. Okafor should be the number one pick in the draft. But that was the type of possession that makes you go, okay, like, long-term stuff here. Like, how good is Carl Anthony Towns going to be if he's already, with confidence, doing that against a pretty formidable college front court that LSU puts out there? I was just – uh and he's four straight games with at least 13 points. And I know that doesn't sound like much, but when you recognize how few minutes Kentucky players play on average, given their platoon, whatever, um, he's really taken a step into, at, at the very least, their, he looks like their most talented dude um, in terms of, yeah. And, it, yeah. and it's not just his scoring either. Like he's right. been doing things on the defensive end. He's been blocking shots. He's a better shot walker right now than Colin Stein. I think that is, more because of where he plays um, defensively. Like, he's normally on the big guy, so he's closer to the basket. But, like, he's got a toughness and an edge to him, too. Yep. Like, there were a couple times the last three games where he fought for an offensive rebound between, like, three different guys. And I didn't realize that he kind of had that toughness to him. He's got a little dog in him, and I like that about him. And, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm still taking Julio for first overall because I think that he has a chance to be an all-time good Big man, but if you end up with the number two pick yep. and you're forced to choose between D'Angelo Russell and Carl Towns, like you're doing pretty good for yourself. No, and that and I, I do think that would be a tough choice. And Moutier in there too. Let's not let's not. Uh, yeah, Moutier too. Yeah, I always just, forget about him. Yeah, he's not, not right. Here. Yeah, just because he's off the radar a little bit, he's still the elite talent that a lot of people thought could be the number one or two pick in this draft, and he still might end up being, you know, two, three, four. So some guy tweeted me. I guess after Monday's podcast and wanted us to talk some Big 12 on the next podcast. This is the next podcast. So let me ask you about the Big 12. Kansas is now 9-2 and two in the league. They've got a two-game lead uh, in the loss column over Oklahoma and Iowa State. And they only have three more road games. So it seems clear to me they're going to win an 11th straight Big 12 title. And it, it might end up being, probably end up being, an outright Big 12 title. Five schools below them um, are all ranked in the AP Top 25. Oklahoma, Iowa State. West Virginia, Oklahoma State, and Baylor. Who's the second-best team in the Big 12? I think right now it is probably Oklahoma. I just don't trust uh, Iowa State on the defensive end of the floor. I think that they can beat anybody in the country on the nights when they're shooting well. I think that they are you know, probably a, a, a top-10-ish team when they're playing at uh, um, Hinkle. But I, I just I, – I'm – Wait, did I say Hilton? Hilton, yeah, Hilton, not Hinkle. I always get Hinkle and Hilton confused. I understand. They both start um, when with they're playing at, When they're playing at Hilton. But I just don't trust them on the defensive end of the floor to consistently be able to get enough stops to beat good teams, especially when they're playing in a neutral court or on the road. And when it comes to Oklahoma, you know, I don't – I wish they had a little bit more depth. But Buddy Heald is one of my favorite players in the country to watch. Right. I think that Tayshaun Thomas has brought another dimension to him in terms of having a guy that can block some shots defensively and another score um, in the post, they can play basically five around none 
because both Spangler and Toms can step out and knock down a jumper if they have to. And just the way that they play and get up and down, I, I think that Oklahoma is probably the second best team, but I think there's a pretty significant gap. And I, like, I think the gap between Kansas and Oklahoma is probably as big as the gap between Oklahoma and, let's say, West Virginia um, for that next group. And when you look at West Virginia's resume, I did this over the weekend after they were getting pounded at home by Baylor. There's not a whole lot there. Like, I, I think they're good, like top 25 good-ish, like top 30, top 35. They're somewhere in that range, 20 to 35, whatever. But they haven't done much. I mean, it, it's February 11th, and their best wins, they got a win over Oklahoma. Next best win, a win over Wofford. That's it. West Virginia hasn't really – I think they're good. But they have, in terms of resume stuff, they don't have much of a resume. Yeah, they. I think they kind of shot up in the rankings early in the year by beating teams that didn't end up being as good as we thought they exactly were going right. to be. Exactly. And then they, since they didn't end up, they didn't lose any games. They kind of stayed up there in the rankings and kind of got over. I don't know if overinflated is a little bit is the wrong way to put it, but um, I, I think you're right. I think they're a tournament team. Uh, I, I think that they can beat anybody on a given night, especially in the home court. I think they're like all the other Big Twelve teams. I mean, they're good enough to make the tournament. It might be good enough to make the second weekend if they get a good draw, and they can beat anybody on their home floor. Um, my thing with them is the same thing with, like, a VCU and an Arkansas, and I just don't trust teams that play the entire game pressing. I think that you gamble too much. I think that teams with good guards aren't going to be flustered by that pressure, and if you don't turn the ball over in the backcourt against them, then they're not very good to have court defense and they're not going to be able to score offensively. So I, I just I have a, a fundamental issue. I don't think that you can uh, go very far in the tournament when you play that style of basketball. Last thing before we get out of here. So uh, another one of the teams in the Big 12 that's you know playing well, overperforming probably, Oklahoma State. That's Travis Ford's team. Travis came into the season uh, coaching. I don't want to say coaching for his job because I don't know if that's exactly true, but clearly he was under some job pressure, and things so far are going well. It's February 11th, so we're about a month away from this coaching carousel really getting going. Uh, real quickly, if you were guessing now, what's the best job that's going to open this offseason? Um, St. John's? You think St. John's is going to open up? We talked about I this think on it the could. podcast a month ago. I think that St. John's could open up. Um, and I think that that is a job that is better than – it gets credit for. I, I think that you can win at St. John's, especially in the Big East. Um, and, you know, I, I like Steve Lavin. He's a nice guy. He's always been friendly with me. But I just – I think that after, you know, struggling as much as they have the last couple of years, not being able to get to the tournament with this team and without being able to land, you know, Isaiah Briscoe and, and some of those other guys that he was targeting in the, the 2015 recruiting class is basically starting over from scratch. And if he couldn't do it on that last recruiting cycle, the four years that he has, why why is it why should the school reinvest in him if he didn't do it that first time? You know what I mean? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, it does. I, I think that's one that, that could open. It's, I think a lot of it's going to have to do with how this final month of the regular season goes, but it definitely could. Mm -hmm. Georgia Tech's the other obvious one. What's better, Georgia Tech, St. John's? I think St. John's is better. I don't. I wouldn't want to be a bottom half. Yeah, coach no, I hear in the you. ACC. I just. I, I. I don't think that. You know, I understand why you would take that job. I mean, you get, what, four years, eight million or something like that? Four years, six million? That's a life-changing amount of money. Sure. You don't really have to worry about ever, you know, working ever again. Um, so I, I would, I understand why people would take that job. But if you gave me the choice between 
battling Villanova and Georgetown for a league title. I'm battling North Carolina, Duke, Louisville, Syracuse, Notre Dame, and I'm missing someone, but whatever. If you gave me that decision, I would take Villanova and Georgetown. Every the, yeah, time. no, the climb in the ACC is impossible. You're talking Duke, Carolina, Louisville, Syracuse, Virginia, Notre Dame. I mean, Jesus. Virginia, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. never, you're never going to climb that hump. It's just not going to happen unless you're Tony Bennett. You better you know be how special. Many Tony Bennett's there are. Yeah. Like maybe like one, right? So you better – that's the thing. If you want to try to climb from the bottom to the near the top or the actual top of the ACC at one of those types of schools, like you better be special because if you're not special, you cannot do it. And so that's why I think Bruce is going to be great in the SEC. You don't have to climb too far. Like who you got to get better than? I mean, you got to get better than Kentucky and get better than Florida consistently. I mean, it's Calipari, Donovan, and then it's like – you know, there's some other like it Andy, could be anybody. It Andy, could be anybody. Maybe could, like Billy Kennedy right now. But. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I'm just saying you don't have to leapfrog giants to you know to get to third in the SEC. Whereas to try to get to third in the ACC, you got to leap like you got to leap literally Hall of Famers. <laughs> like you got yeah. like you, there, there's four Hall yeah. of Famers in the ACC who are still coaching at a high level in Rick and Bayheim and and uh, Kay and Roy Williams, right? I mean, those are st- those four guys are still, I know Syracuse is down this year, but still operating at a really high level. So uh, I'm with you. That Georgia Tech job, historically good job, assuming it opens. Like, we'll see. There's still some season left. But um, it's just such a more difficult climb in the ACC than it is the Big East, although it is the ACC as opposed to the Big East, and there's probably something to be uh, said for that. Anyway, let's get out of here. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes the quickest way to make sure you get your hands on the uh, latest edition so make sure to do that i will talk to you later on this week and rob is going to go practice fifa 15 right now hey get in get in if you're going to deal with frank and it's going to be documented on twitter you're going to need to get in some practice time so if it means you oh, I'm, I'm going to man i need to get like get triple sessions in i'm going to best buy right now yeah yeah, you're gonna need to you're gonna need to practice up because this could be a, a humiliating social media moment for you. Nobody needs those. Trust me, nobody uh, needs those. Thanks for being here, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Thanks for having me on, Gary. All right, buddy. Bye bye.